when trying to pick a topic to, uh, to preach from and not being the pastor of a church so that I know kind of the flow of the church and the needs of the people, what I find is very helpful for me to do is to look to the internet. There are a lot of bad things on the internet, but there are some good things on the internet too. And one of the things that uh, I use as a guide when I preach in local churches, of which I'm not pa a pastor, is uh, the lectionary. Tens of thousands of churches all across the United States and the world today are preaching from the same basic passages of Scripture and celebrating particular events on the annual church calendar. And uh, if you can check to see what other churches are doing uh, based upon the annual church calendar used, again, all across the globe, it uh, gives me a little confidence that even if um, I don't know exactly where your needs are, I know where God's people are going to be studying on this particular Sunday. Uh, Jim, thank you for inviting me to be here on part of Trinity Sunday. Did you know that once a year, one out of every 52 weeks out of the year, the church spends one Sunday to focus on one of the most important topics in all of Christianity, the Trinity. And this happens to be Trinity Sunday. The, as, uh, it turns out that there's more than one lectionary, more than one list of suggested scriptures that people use to focus on this fascinating topic, the topic of the Trinity. I looked over the, the lists of uh, ones that various uh, denominations, various church groups are using to focus on the Trinity, and I didn't like any of them. <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to pick my own, but we're going to focus on that general topic of the Trinity. The reason I don't like them is because I'm an Old Testament professor, and I, and I have to start in the Old Testament somewhere. So I figured there's got to be something about the Trinity in the Old Testament, and um, it turns out there is. So we'll be looking at that, and uh, the whole concept of mystery in the Old Testament and mystery in the Bible but mystery especially as it relates to uh, one of the most fascinating and frankly insoluble mysteries of, of the Bible. The, way, uh, the concept of God being one, which is absolutely a truth of the Bible, but at the same time a God who is three persons in one person, three uh, in one being. How can God be three in one? Well, that's one of those mysteries of... Um, of the world in which God has placed us. It, uh, and as I contemplate the concept of mystery, I'm reminded that there are a lot of insoluble mysteries in this world. Uh, I was raised in the science town of Los Alamos, New Mexico as a child. My dad was part of the uh, Cold War efforts of the United States back in the 1950s to uh, develop nuclear weapons in abundant measures that were easily deliverable on guided missiles and droppable from airplanes and that sort of thing so that we could make the price of war so expensive that the Soviets would never choose to go to war against the United States. And we didn't want to use them, but we had to develop them. And so uh, Dad was actually uh, head of the Nuclear Weapons Development Laboratory uh, aspect, group, weapons group in Los Alamos, what used to be called Scientific Laboratory. And uh, I've, I was raised in a science home. I love science. 
And physics is, was my dad's specialty, so I have delved into physics a lot over the years. Turns out that uh, the smartest physicists in the world uh, have discovered an insoluble mystery in our universe. And that is, why does the universe not just blow apart? Why do uh, solar systems and uh, galaxies not just have each atom go in its own way and just fall apart? Uh, there are, according to scientists, 95% of our universe is what we call either dark matter or dark energy. 1920ths, almost everything that exists in, in our universe is, um, is stuff that we cannot measure with, we can't see it, we can't smell it, we can't touch it. We have no instrument, no scientific instrument that can evaluate it and, and give us the properties of this stuff, but 95% of everything that, is, that God has created in the universe that we can detect at this point is dark matter or dark energy. 27% uh, dark matter, 48% dark energy. And that stuff is responsible for our universe ex at the same, uh, simultaneously expanding but also bending light because of the extra weight in the universe that's so heavy. There, there's such a great amount of dark matter out there that it bends light when it uh, gets near things that possess dark matter. Scientists can't explain it to us. It's a mystery. We, we, we know it's there, but we can't tell you anything about it, and we have no way at this point of ever uh, being able to tell us anything about it. In the world of biology, we know that life exists, but we can't figure out how to create life. Uh, the human body is 99% composed of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, let's see, calcium, nitrogen, and phosphorus. And 99% uh, of who we are is those elements, those six elements. We can put all those elements together in a chamber in the same proportions, exact proportions, that any one of us as human beings possess them. We can throw in 20-some trace elements and uh, let them all sit there, but we cannot make them become alive. We cannot create life. We have no conceivable path to creating, to starting with mere atoms and turning something into a living being. It's a mystery as to how it happens. We live in a world full of mystery. It, if we can have mysteries in the world of physics and in the world of biology, is it so terrible that we have a mystery in the world of religion? I don't think so. I think it's just part of the way God designed us to be. Sometimes I think of human beings as being like old-style, 1960-style black-and-white TVs. Uh, if, you've, if you ever saw one of those, and if, you're, if you weren't raised in the 1950s and 60s or earlier, you, you may not know what those things look like, but they were giant boxes of TVs full of tubes in them. And, if you're, and uh, they'd have wiggly TV uh, images that you'd have to adjust to keep them from uh, being unable, uh, in, impossible to view. If you were to try to plug a 1960s-style black-and-white TV into uh, your Spectrum Internet cable or whatever you've got uh, for cable these days, some sort of satellite signal, you would not be able to view what is out there. There's so much more complexity, there's so much more information in uh, 
your cable TV input today that unless you have a TV that was built in the last few years, it can't handle all the information out there. It just can't do it. And so you won't get, a, you won't get anything show up on your screen. The human brain that God gave to each of us as human beings is like a 1960s black and white TV that uh, cannot possibly process all the truth that God has put into our universe any more than that black and white TV can handle cable uh, TV that produces high definition 4G or whatever TV today. Uh, you just can't do it. God made us to where we'll always have mysteries in our, in our life and in our world. God gave us his word. He gave us the Bible. This Bible contains truth. But in many ways, the truths that are in this Bible are like the information that comes into our TV sets. Uh, there's so much of it that we can't possibly comprehend all of it in our 1960s-style TV. And he doesn't waste any time in starting the mysteries out. As we think about the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity actually begins in verse 1 of the Bible. I won't give you all the Hebrew background, but I will read it, read it to you in the English, and then we'll talk about some of the, the mysteries that show up in the original language. Genesis 1-1, opening verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 of the Bible tells us that there is a God, and that there is a God who preceded anything that exists. All that dark matter and dark energy, all the stuff that we can see, the lights uh, of the sun and uh, the matter, the, the dirt between our toes, all that stuff, uh, was created by one who existed before our universe existed. Before there was mud and light and everything else, there was God. But the Hebrew, as you look at it in this opening verse, speaks of God with the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is a word that is actually a plural noun. Uh, in theory, this word could be translated as a plural gods, but we're never allowed to translate it as that because the first verb in the Bible, the one of which God is the subject, is a singular verb. So fascinatingly enough, in the opening verse of the Bible, we have a description of a being that is plural, but always expresses itself in the singular, as uh, a plural noun with a singular verb, a verb that requires only one being to be the subject of it. How is that possible? That we can have Elohim, a plural noun, meaning God, and a singular verb. Well, it's a mystery. We can't explain it except to say that that's the way it is in the Hebrew. Uh, you have this hidden concept of a, a, a complex, mysterious being that on the one hand is plural, but always is one. And it isn't just there that we see this. On the opening page of my version of the Bible, and it's got 27 verses to it, when I look at the uh, end of the second column of my two-column Bible, on page one, we see uh, the latter part of the story of God's acts of creation. 
Genesis 1-1 seems to summarize what God did. He created the heavens and the earth, but then there's a, a more detailed explanation uh, that is presented as a six-day creation. At the bottom of the, the second column, by the time we get to verse 26, we're into day six of this act of creation of the universe. And in that sixth day, God is creating the most important what to him is the most important of his creative works. He's creating human beings. And in verse 26, taken from that sixth day of creation, on page one of the Bible, it says this. Then God said, and by the way, there's that word, that plural noun God with a singular verb said. God speaking as one being. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Did you hear the pronouns in there? Us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now that's strange. What is the deal here? We have one God who when he speaks uses a plural pronoun, right? Uh, in on page one, let us make man. Who is the us there? Well, as an Old Testament PhD, I can tell you, I've been, I taught for 32 years at Hannibal LaGrange University, just right down the road. Uh, and in all those 32 years, and in all my doctoral work, I never found a satisfying explanation for the us right there. Uh, I can find theories by uh, people who uh, also have PhDs and uh, made conjectures about it, but no one really has the answer. All they have is guesses. The fact is, it's a mystery as to why God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. But um, the Bible does give us some hints as to what's going on right here. One of the truths, as we think uh, in this Trinity Sunday of the Bible, is that uh, God has expressed himself, first of all, as a father. Uh, Jesus will uh, speak of God as father. The word father actually shows up a couple times in the Old Testament, and we don't need to do a detailed Bible study of it all, but let's just say that the concept of God as a father of all of creation shows up beginning in the pages of the Old Testament and is carried through into the pages of the New Testament. We have in the, the pages of the Old Testament, again, going back to page one of the Bible, uh, this concept of uh, God as spirit. God as spirit. We don't have to go very far into the uh, first page. In fact, just verse two to see these words, Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Hmm, the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? Who is the Spirit of God? Uh, is it a what or a who? It's apparently a living being. It's acting as though it was alive. Uh, the Spirit of God will show up in the Old Testament, 
Paul will speak of it in the New Testament. In fact, Paul will go so far as to say that if a, uh, that the Spirit is a living being and that if the Spirit of God does not live in you as a human being, you're not a Christian. You must have the Spirit of God living in you to be a Christian. You must uh, have this uh, person of what we will ultimately say the Trinity uh, somehow come to abide with you, to live inside of you. The Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? A living being. We know that. A very powerful being. Jesus will speak of this one as being a comforter. Uh, the Greek word parakletos uh, is one who is called alongside. It's one who will be there like a friend, always there, uh, who's been called alongside and will be faithfully present uh, with you throughout your easy times and your hard times, your good times and your bad, but who will always be there to, to speak a word of encouragement, to comfort us in a time of grief, uh, even to guide us when we have questions sometimes knowingly guiding us and sometimes silently, quietly guiding us, but there nonetheless. We have this one who's been called alongside the paraclete. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as that. Uh, in the Old Testament, you sometimes have um, also this mysterious being uh, that sometimes actually seems to have all the power of God and, and sometimes will be uh, mentioned in one verse as, well, the phrase is Malach Adonai, uh, the messenger of God, the uh, angel of the Lord is often the way it's translated by Bible translators. Uh, it's a difficult phrase, but it's often translated as the angel of the Lord. According to the story of Gideon, and we'll not look in the details of it, uh, it's one who uh, can eat, it's one who has hands and can hold uh, an instrument. Uh, the angel of the Lord is one who can speak. Shows up in the story of Abraham uh, at, uh, in Genesis 22 as one who spoke directly to Abraham. In fact, was the one who is responsible, the, the divine being who spoke to prevent Abraham from killing his chosen son, Isaac. This, this being in the Old Testament who shows up as one who has a, apparently a body with hands and arms, a, a, a mouth that can speak and eat, uh, one who can uh, move around, uh, but is supernaturally powerful and is sometimes there and then sometimes not. Who is this angel of the Lord, this, this one who um, possesses incredible power the powers of God, all the authority of God, speaks uh, the truths of God, and is there sometimes, but uh, usually not. Well, we don't know who that is. Uh, it's just called the angel of the Lord, or whatever, however you want to translate that mysterious Hebrew phrase right there. In the pages of the New Testament, though, uh, we, we see something that may give some... Uh, those who study the Old Testament from a reverent, uh, orthodox perspective are sometimes inclined to think that we have Christ himself hidden in the pages of the Old Testament. We'll never know if that is in fact what the angel of the Lord was or what's going on right there, but we do know that the Old Testament speaks of 
a creator God, often called the Father. We do know that it speaks of a spirit of God. We do know that it speaks of this uh, mysterious being that has uh, apparently a human body and has all the powers of God and who uh, showed up in the life of Abraham, in the life of Gideon, in, uh, in the life of Samson and other individuals in the Old Testament at key moments in their lives, but for a flash of time and then was gone. But in the pages of the New Testament, we have the story of, uh, and really it's the greatest story, it's, it's the climax of all the 66 books of our Protestant Bible. We have the story of the birth of, of God himself in the flesh. The story of God coming to that virgin uh, whose virgin birth was uh, confessed by us as part of the confession of faith just moments ago. We have the birthing of Jesus uh, who came as uh, the creator God of the universe uh, in human form. Perhaps the greatest of the theologians of the New Testament was the Apostle John. Uh, numerous great scholars of, of God's word have said that no one speaks with more theological depth in all of the Bible than the great, uh, the beloved apostle uh, who was next to Jesus' side at the Lord's Supper, the apostle John himself. When John wrote his story of Jesus, we call it the Gospel of John today, his first and opening words in that uh, wonderful 22-chapter-long gospel. Take us back, actually, to the opening page of the Bible and to the mystery, in some ways, of the Trinity. John would see uh, a Trinity in, in his understanding. John spoke of God the Father, he spoke of Jesus the Son, and he spoke of uh, the Holy Spirit as well. And I think he was trying to... Uh, at, as an elderly writer of this gospel, looking back reflectively on his experiences with the earthly Jesus, the beloved apostle started his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Uh, John saw the Trinity in the opening paragraph of the Bible, and he makes it plain to us in ways that uh, we could not have seen if God had, God's Spirit had not enlightened John to show us the Trinity. I'm going to go back to Genesis 1 because I'm an Old Testament professor. I can do that and look at it one more time as we begin to uh, bring this Trinity session uh, uh, study to a close. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now verse three, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see that verse, that verb that shows up there in that third verse, then God said. John would say the God who spoke that verse, the first 
recorded words in the Bible was the God uh, who was, was, was the Word. The same God who spoke the Word was also the living Word. The Word that created, in this case, light. God spoke, the living Word created the light, and there was light. John chapter 1 ties together the opening chapter of the Bible with the doctrine of the Trinity. We have that God whose, whose word Elohim could be translated as a plural, gods, but must only be translated as singular because the verb is always singular, the first verb of the, of the Bible. We have the explicit mention of that creator God. We have the explicit mention of the spirit of God. But John said, you know what? You're missing one if that's all you see. There is God, the creator God. There is God, the spirit. But there's also the living word, God. And that living word is Jesus. He was the one who created all things and that nothing was created. The one who uh, was the source of life in verse 4 of John chapter 1 and the source of light. Life was in him and that life was the light of men. Uh, Jesus was the one who, according to, the, uh, according to John, was the word that became flesh. John chapter 1 will speak of the, uh, the verse 14. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The mystery of the Trinity starts on the, in the opening words, the opening sentence of the Bible. It will never be fully understood any more than we can understand dark matter and dark energy or how to create life uh, from chemicals, from atoms. We can't do it. But I can tell you that it's, it's the most important mystery that we could ever attempt to wrap our minds around the mystery of a God who is big enough to create a universe invisibly present hovering over our universe there in observing all things at all times but a God who also to, to use a more explicit uh, phrase from the Greek who also tented among us lived in the tent of human flesh for a time fully human and fully God. How could one being, Jesus, be both fully God and fully man at the same time? Now, there's another mystery that will never be explicable to us. We, we can't do it. Uh, we don't have the, the mental horsepower uh, the, to be able to ever understand what it means for a being to be completely God and completely human. And yet, this is the third and hidden element of the Trinity that was never made uh, visible to us in an understandable form, in, human, in, in fully human form, to live among us for a time, to grow up among us, but to do for us as human beings what no, uh, no other human being could ever possibly do. One who is fully human but could also do the work that only God himself could do. And that's what Jesus did for us. That third and most, uh, for us, most uh, salvific element of the Trinity, the one who brings us salvation. 
Jesus came for a time to live among us. Uh, he was the, the, the living word that created the universe. He was the light of the universe, the, but the light and the life of humanity as well. And he's also our savior today. The Trinity really is one of the great mysteries of, of our universe, of the Bible. We, we will never understand it, but we need to appreciate it and to appropriate it. Uh, as an evangelical, I believe that it's very important for all of us to have a, to have a personal relationship with God, that, to gain forgiveness of sins, to gain uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, to gain the, the promise of heaven. And all of those things are ours through faith in Jesus who died for our sins, who came for a time to live in that tent of human flesh among us, to die for our sins for us and to rise from the dead, uh, destroying death so that we too might live with him forever. The truths of the Trinity are ones that uh, all of us would do well to remember. This universe did not happen by accident. It happened because of the creative work of God. It, that the God who was there was a, a very complex God who has to be expressed as a plural but always acts as one. He is, in fact, one God. One of the great truths of the, the Torah, of the first five books of the Bible, is, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And that is uh, always going to be true. We serve one God. But a God who's expressed himself as the living word, Christ, and the spirit of God, even as he's also the Father.